I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Now, the United States Army Band playing the Star Spangled Banner. Welcome again to Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and it's great to have you. It is July 3rd as I'm recording it, and I have a great show for you this week. Now, obviously, because tomorrow is July 4th, Independence Day for those of us who are in America and Americans, I wanted to throw out the Star Spangled Banner at the top of the show and um, just talk about a little bit about uh, the 4th of July and what it means. Well, you know what, how about we start by explaining what the 4th of July is. Independence Day honors the birthday of the United States of America and the adoption of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. Uh, Traditionally, this is the day that most Americans will light off fireworks and listen to a lot of um, music and fly the American flag. Uh, it's a very patriotic day because it's when we as a union finally decided and signed our affirmation of independence from Great Britain in 1776. So it, it was actually penned, I believe, in on the 2nd, and it was argued and debated over for a couple days. And actually, there's some um, historians that will toss out the idea that it wasn't even finalized as in signed by everyone until mid-August or early August. But July 4th is the day that everyone has come to accept, and quite frankly, whether it's July 2nd or August 16th, it doesn't matter. We still declared ourselves and started a horrendous war in which we won our independence and really, at that moment, defined a change in the entire world uh, by the creation of the United States of America. We have influenced from that moment on, in my opinion, the entire history of 
humankind. We have either, through backdoor means, influenced the overthrowing of regimes and putting in dictators of our choosing. We've done a lot of really shitty things, actually, as Americans. Um, and you, you have to take a step back and wonder why the majority of the world calls us the great Satan. Now, personally, now this is just me, I take great pride in that. We, as Americans, traditionally, are not afraid of bending rules and making backdoor deals in order to have a larger seat at the table. We are an aggressive people who are not shy about our opinions and about what we want. That may contradict with other people's view of what a good world or a friendly world or a non-intrusive world should be. And even in America, in our borders, our politics are defined by not only you know big business and corporate interests, but by elections. So, you know, at one level, you cannot say that Americas aren't Americans themselves, the people, are not war-loving peoples. Because we keep electing these people that are allowing this to continue. I think we should just stop pretending. You know, just stop fucking pretending like we're the great hope for all of the world. It's not the fucking reality of it. The reality is, is we see something we want, and we fucking take it. And if you have a problem with that, talk to our military. It may not be nice, but that's who we are, and that's who we've always been. Always. So to pretend we're something else, it's just politics. You know, it's, it's just diplomacy. Uh, take pride in who and what you really are. You know, as Satanists, that's something that we, we tout very strongly. And I think it should go in suit with your nationality. Accept it. And, you know what, if those lunatic Christians out there are right, that we are a, um, a Christian nation, historically that we're not, but, you know, if, if their perspective is right, well then Christians are the most bloody warring people I've ever heard of. And actually that would be reinforced by their own holy book, so <laughs> I think they're deluding themselves much more than they think. Um, and anyway, July 4th for me is uh, fireworks with friends and family. And that's really all it is. You know, y you see the flag and you take a moment, at least for me, and you realize what it took to keep that flag flying. Um, and, you know, you, you, you appreciate it in your own way, however you want to do it. And part of that appreciation is the recognition of who we are, not only as a people, but as individuals, and our struggles to influence the environments around us. And that could be through commerce, um, through political action, or through your own personal interests. But no matter what, be productive and... Um, you know, be true to who you are and, and, and what you stand for. So happy 4th of July, everyone. Outside of that, I started last week's show 
with a shouting of holy shit because I was attacked by bees. They're still here. I actually called a beekeeper and they never called me back. Um, I think there's a couple ways that I've gotten suggestions on Undercroft on how to handle this myself. And eventually I'm going to get around to it, but it, quite frankly it was really hot this morning, so I didn't go out and mow the lawn. I'm, I'm probably going to tackle that tonight. So if you don't hear from me next week, it's probably because I was stung to death by the bees in my backyard. <laughs> it's tough because I want them to stay around. You know, I need them for my, my garden and I need them for my flowers. But fuck, man, just, just back the fuck off, people. Don't be getting up in their face, staying in their eyeballs and shit. Outside of that, I do have a really great show for you this week. Uh, How about I go through that list really quick? In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about the physical effects and recognition of greater magic. Now, I have some really exciting uh, topics coming down the line. I have a Halloween show centered around greater magic. I'm going to be having a panel of greater magic practitioners, um, people that you may have heard of. I'm very excited for, so I'm going to be posting up um, forum posts for any questions or comments you might have about Greater Magic, and then, you know, have those directed toward the the panelists themselves. I'm really, really excited about this. It's going to be a very powerful episode. Um, So, you know, that's sort of what's coming. Um, But for this week, I'm just going to, you know, give you some personal experiences with Greater Magic and um, how... It makes you feel. <laughs> In Infernal Informant, I have an article, Shape of a Woman's Pout May Mean Better Sex, and Obama GOP Lob Rhetorical Fireworks Over Budget and Debt. In Creature Feature, I have a fantastic interview with Outside Radio Hours, and this actually went really long, so I chopped this interview nearly in half, taking out a lot of really funny um, comments, stories, anecdotes, uh, but it just it didn't fit into the format that I wanted to present it. I'm going to find another way to get all of these interviews that I'm doing in their full capacity out there. Uh, it's just I'm kind of busy with real life and uh, doing this weekly podcast to, to devote to that. But it's coming. It'll, it'll be coming down the line. And I have a, um, a little bizarre, bizarre just to uh, finish up the episode. So sit back, relax. Welcome to another episode of Nine Cents. Let's move on into the Devil's Advocate. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon, to the north and to the south. I'll show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail, Satan? I said, can I get a Hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Let me start this with an excerpt of the Satanic Bible, written by Anton Zander LeVay, describing magic. Magic falls into two categories, ritual or ceremonial, and non-ritual or manipulative. Ritual magic consists of the performance of a formal ceremony, taking place, at least in part, 
within the confines of an area set aside for such purposes and at a specific time. Its main function is to isolate the otherwise dissipated adrenal and other emotionally induced energy and convert it into a dynamically transmittable force. It is purely an emotional rather than an intellectual act. Any and all intellectual activity must take place before the ceremony, not during it. This type of magic is sometimes known as greater magic. And that's what we're talking about in brief today, is greater magic. I've actually run across a few different people who refer to greater magic in different ways. I'm not sure why. Um, that seemed pretty clear what Anton LaVey said right there. It's the creation, and I'm paraphrasing here, and transmittance of actual energy. Meaning, you are causing actual human events to occur with the energy that you are generating and dispersing in the ritual chamber. Now, it's called a decompression chamber because there is no rationalization there. This is literally a place where is pure emotion, instinct, and reaction. When I was a young man, I would often turn off the lights um, and just have very, very, very low ambient light uh, and paint have music playing in the background. And while I was doing this alone, I oftentimes would feel, at the time I thought it was a presence, and now I recognize it as the generation of my own energy as I was tuning myself into what I was doing. You've heard before, not only um, in, in scientific terms, but in science fiction as well, that we are batteries. We generate electricity and energy. And at its core, that's what greater magic is all about. It's about generating and transmitting energy. Now, obviously, this can be done alone. But you can imagine, as effective as it may be alone, how much more effective it is in a group setting. Now, you know, there's a lot of Satanists that don't ever practice ritual magic, and that's fine. It's not for everyone. Um, it is a core to what, in my personal opinion, creates a healthy and happier Satanist, because you are regularly... I say regularly, as often as you feel it necessary. Um, basically, building and letting out energy so it doesn't become trapped and, and uh, confined within you. And yes, to an extreme lesser degree, that's what lesser magic is for on a daily basis. But, you know, there's something to be said about, about the physical effects of performing ritual. Imagine if you're a, a uh, I'm sorry. Imagine if you're a, a performer. 
if you're an artist in whatever medium, be it painting or design or whatever, you spend an exorbitant amount of time planning and executing that personal expression. And all of that energy is put out sort of just to waft into the audience. Now, this is, could be at a gallery that they're viewing it and, and suddenly hit with that energy or, or whether it's at a performance. Th- you actually feel the physical effects of this. You know, this isn't a theoretical thing here. I mean, there, there is actual physical reaction of, of letting out energy like that. And, you know, a good way to describe this is orgasm. And uh, Anton LaVey had, had often referred to it um, as this, and actually, you know, included it in some. If, if you have an orgasm, you are literally building up to your climax... Uh, slowly building up the energy your body knows is going to be released and then once you hit that peak you get right over it and you start coming down (laughs) a little play on words there Uh, you feel physically worn out because of all that energy you just built up it's the exact same thing in the uh, ritual chamber in the um, uh, decompression chamber now, I have actually performed more rituals outside in the wilderness. I, I feel better. I feel more in tune with the energy that I produce and, and, and I, can, I can build. And this actually may be playing on... Earlier in, in these episodes, I talked about um, lycanthropy and, and the article that Anton LaVey wrote about it. I believe it was in the Devil's Notebook. How to Become a Werewolf. Uh, you, in the wilderness, you get, in my opinion, an added boost of energy because you're not just drawing it from you and the other participants around you. Um, and you're not just drawing it from the natural environment that you're in, which would normally be the decompression chamber or um, you know, whatever ritual chamber you have. But... There are elements in our world that may be stumbling across your chosen area. Um, and this doesn't have, I'm not talking about humans or anything. I mean, this could be animals, this could be insects, this could be uh, um, fuck wind. That all play a role in your greater intensity. Uh, throughout the ritual, um, I, I did I did one perform one ritual where it was um, uh, quite a negative end as desired. Um, I believe it was for the better of everything involved, or else I wouldn't have fucking done it. But the results that I was looking for did end up taking place, though. To be quite honest. A lot, you know, it was like three or four days after I had anticipated. Um, but it was in the way that I wanted, so I felt I felt very satisf- satisfied about it. Um, and this is going to play into an idea that, that I wanted to talk about briefly as well. Because some people think that this is just um, a, a, a performance, that you're just doing this to feel better. 
And though, yes, that is a, a result of it, absolutely, it's not the only reason to do it. You should not want to perform a destruction ritual unless you are prepared to have the target die. Anton LaVey has talked many times about if you are not, in paraphrasing again, if you are not committed to the ritual, it will come back to you tenfold. I can't speak to that because I've never half-assed done anything like this before, um, but I would imagine that, that it would be true because you literally are, are building up energy, directing it out there, and influencing the world. Now, sometimes, admittedly, it does not happen the way you want it to or it doesn't, you don't see a result at all. And in that case, you have to just accept that, you know what, maybe A, you weren't focused enough, B, you didn't have enough energy, or C, the chaos of the universe just was not aligned with your desires. And sometimes that happens. You know what, you just have to, you know, take it on the chin and, and fucking move on. What's important in those cases is to recognize its emotional component for you. But more often than not... I think you're going to find, if you're a reasonable, rational human being, that you will get the result that you want. But you are going to pay a physical toll for it. Um, and some people thrive on that physical toll, actually. Uh, some people get incredibly exhausted. Uh, but just as maybe as uh, ritual tip number one. <laughs> Have after-ritual refreshments prepared. <laughs> I'm not talking about like sugar cookies and punch, but you know, just be able to replenish your energy, you know, have some fucking water handy or some food or, or, you know, go to dinner or something because, because you can actually become very physically fucking exhausted. And the last thing you want to be is a fucking dehydration statistic post ritual. <laughs> that would be pretty fucking reject, just retarded. All right. So that's, you know, that's all I really wanted to talk about in uh, greater magic. And to let you know that I do have a lot of other um, ideas planned to go into more depth, but I want to—I don't want to do a half-assed for you. You know, I, I think um, I think you guys deserve a lot more than that, and I think we can do it in a way that hasn't been done before, that is not only informative, entertaining, but legitimate. You know, I mean, with with you know, it's not just some fucking dude like me you've never heard of talking about it in his fucking you know office. So, look forward to that, and I hope that you will participate and, you know, send in any questions or comments um, or inquiries, and you can actually email those to me starting now, and then I'll put posts, forum posts on not only the Letters to the Devil website, but also to my Facebook page, Nine Cents. Uh, just go to Facebook slash Nine Cents. Or email them at info at ninecentspodcast.com. So let's go ahead and move on into the Infernal Informant. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. I'm pretty excited about this article here. Shape of a woman's pout may mean better sex. And this is actually from msnbc.com the body odd <clears throat> excuse me by brian alexander here's a fun fact to share at parties this weekend the shape of a woman's lips may predict the likelihood of her having an orgasm 
seriously. Stuart Brody, a psychology professor at the University of the West of Scotland, is famous among researchers of sexual behavior for some of his studies, like ones linking a woman's finger sensitivity to partnered sex behavior, and most especially a 2008 dozy that linked a woman's gait, fluid, graceful, free of blocked or distorted pelvic rotation, with the greater chance of having so-called vaginal orgasms. In other words, he said, you can tell a lot about a woman by the way she walks. Now, in a paper published last week by the Journal of Sexual Medicine and called Vaginal Orgasm is More Prevalent Among Women with a Prominent Tuber... <laughs> tubercle of the upper lip, Brody has come out with another marker for female orgasm. The little spot just at the middle of the upper lip, called the tubercle, it poofs out a little more in some people than in others. Brody stresses he's not referring to puffy Angelina Jolie lips, just to that one tiny spot. According to the result, of an online survey featuring 258 mainly Scottish women with a mean age of 27 years, having a prominent tubercle means a woman has a greater chance of ever having had a vaginal orgasm. If you think that sounds kooky, you may be onto something. There are a couple of controversies to consider. First, not all scientists believe that there is any real difference between a clitoral orgasm and a vaginal orgasm, mainly because the little man in the boat is really just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, that extends into the vaginal wall. In Brody's research, tubercle size did not predict orgasm by clitoral st stimulation. Second, there could be confounding factors. When I asked if it was possible, the woman with the prominent tubercles, <laughs> I still feel like I'm saying that wrong, may have been more attracted, I'm sorry, attractive, and so had more opportunities for sex and attracted better lovers, Brody replied that, quote, I'm not aware of research linking women's attractiveness to their likelihood of vaginal orgasm. That could be a future study, end quote. This is, however... Research that some male, I'm sorry, there is, however, research that some male attributes are associated with likelihood of vaginal orgasm. <laughs> Third, the women themselves, rather than an independent party, judging their own tubercle characteristics based on the eyeballing of their own lips. Still, Brody may really be onto something, not only with this study, but with his gait research and what seems to be an ongoing hunt for markers that signify sexual response. As he speculates in the paper, anatomic study has indicated that by week 17, the human fetus may have already developed the tubercle in the lip. While we could find no research related to the tubercle to sexual response, we did locate evidence of an embryonic neural process that organizes midline cranial features, which could plausibly relate to morphology to behavior. I'm sorry, re relate morphology to behavior in other contexts. In other words, it is probably not the lip feature itself that makes the difference, if any real difference really exists. It may be that the same developmental forces that shape a fetus tubercle also affect neural circuits. It is possible. Brody writes, that a flatter or absent tubercle may have something in common with the at times subtle lip abnormalities associated with subtle neuropsychologic abnormalities. And these subtle differences may in turn affect vaginal orgasm. 
It is true that prenatal events dramatically shape our future sexual lives. Perhaps the shape of our lips are one telltale sign. Alright, um, I'm sure you can understand why I brought this article up. First of all, I adore, I adore women's lips. Oh, they're so fucking sexy. Um, I never really paid attention to the tubercle before. Uh, I, I just sort of... It's always the fullness of them that I've been more attracted to. I think to try to connect the tubercle or fuck the fullness of a woman's lips to her ability to reach vaginal or clitoral orgasm is a little stretching. But what the fuck do I know? I'm not a fucking scientist at the West of Scotland University. Um, but I do gotta say, in my own experience, if a woman doesn't know herself, meaning if she's not capable of giving herself an orgasm, the chance of her having one with a partner is much less. It's possible. You can stumble upon it. Um, I mean, you can find any house without a map. You're eventually going to come to it. <laughs> but you have, it's like having a GPS in the car. You know what I mean? And it seems like all of these studies are based around the idea that those performing the studies have a problem getting their women to orgasm. Or else why even fucking bother? <laughs> you know? It's just one of those fucking things. I think... If a woman is familiar with her body and the man is experienced enough to, <laughs> to know the genetic locations of key fucking points in a woman's body, well, then the orgasm is going to fucking happen. Um, before or after the guys, you know, however your own individual works out. But I, I know a lot of women who, who orgasm out of anal sex and have nothing to do with clitoral stimulation. You know, it, it has a lot to do with, with emotional investment, I guess we could call it. Um, and uh, excitement, individual sexual excitement at the moment. I mean, uh, it doesn't always have to do with physical stimulation of the clit or the G-spot or fuck the A-spot um, or anything. And I gotta be honest with you, I don't... I, I could never fucking tell you the difference. I'm a dude between a vaginal and a clitoral orgasm, you know? I'm... I'm all over that entire fucking area, so it's not like I'm focusing on one or the other. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like the gambler who covers all bets, you know. <laughs> so, so I'm running the fucking blackjack table, the roulette table, and the fucking poker, poker tables. I'm not gonna focus on one thing. I, I, I gotta get my hands all up in all that shit. <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> because that way I feel better. Because, you know, sometimes, and this goes both ways, you know, either you or your partner is not going to orgasm every time. Admittedly, that's odd. It's not the norm, but it happens. Um, so, in my opinion, the goal is to have both parties orgasm every time. That's what I would consider a success. <laughs> if you can have a success in sex. Uh, you, you want your partner to to come, you know, it's just, it's fucking normal, it's natural, and, and you want it, so, anyway, that, you know, that's why I wanted to bring this up, I thought it was interesting, um, I, I think it's funny that people are doing these studies, because I think it speaks more to them 
than the subject. And, uh, you know, at any time I, I get to see a picture with uh, big pouty lips, I'm happy. And this, this article had it, so. <laughs> so that's that. Let's move on to a little more political article. And this is actually from the Christian Science Monitor um, posted. Uh, fuck, I'm looking for the, the date here. July 2nd by Brad Knickerbocker. Obama GOP law rhetorical fireworks over budget and debt. As a possible U.S. debt crisis looms, Democrats and Republicans seem to be talking past each other, lobbying rhetorical fireworks, particularly over what President Obama calls tax breaks for millionaires and billionaires. Eliminating, blah, blah, blah. Eliminating unfair tax breaks for the wealthy versus raising taxes in a way that's damaging to economic recovery. When it comes to defining the terms of federal budgeting and deficit reduction, it's almost as if Democrats and Republicans are speaking different languages or using different mathematical modes. And in their regular Saturday radio addresses, that pattern continued. President Obama repeated his recent mantra, Nothing can be... uh, off limits, including spending in the tax code, particularly the loopholes that benefit very few individuals and corporations, Obama said. Now, it would be nice if we could keep every tax break, but we can't afford them, he continued, because if we choose to keep those tax breaks for millionaires and billionaires, or for hedge fund managers and corporate jet owners, or for oil and gas companies pulling in huge profits without our help, then we'll have to make even deeper cuts somewhere else. We've got to to say to a student, you don't get a college scholarship. We have to say to a medical researcher, you can't do that cancer research. We might as well have to tell seniors, you have to pay more for Medicare. Speaking for the Republican side, and without addressing the presidential scolding regarding millionaires and billionaires that began at Obama's press conference this week, Senator Dan Coats of Indiana said, Unfortunately, the president's economic plan is spending and borrowing has failed. It's time to acknowledge that more government and higher taxes is not the answer to our problem, Coates said. As a model for government efficiency and economic recovery, Coates cites the work of Indiana's Governor Mitch Daniels, who faced a $200 million deficit when he took office. While other states increased spending and raised taxes, Indiana reduced spending, cut taxes, and paid down its debts, Coates said. The spend less, borrow less, and tax less model in Indiana has resulted in balanced budgets, job creation, and a AAA credit rating. In contrast, the spend more, borrow more, and tax more approach of the president has resulted in fewer jobs, higher debt, and a threatened downgrade from credit agencies. I gotta stop here for just a second and say that's really fucking disingenuous of Coates to fucking quote. Um, You know, these policies are, are, are indicative of this president. It's indicative of every president, especially the last one. Back to the article. Obama calls his approach to deficit reduction, which includes raising taxes for some corporations and wealthy individuals, balanced. I'm going to stop again here, because this is a fucking mantra that the the Republicans are, are constantly touting, raising taxes, raising taxes. All he wants to do is restore the tax rate that was under fucking President Clinton. That was below the fucking rate 
of their hallmark president, Reagan, so many years ago. They are literally, literally doing the bidding of corporations. I can't even say that. Corporations shamelessly at the expense of their constituents. The problem is, their constituents are too fucking ignorant to understand it. Back to the article. For Republicans in the House and Senate, balance means amending the U.S. Constitution to require a balanced budget, which is the way things operate in most states, and any increasing in taxes, even for hedge fund managers, corporate jets, and oil companies making record profits? Forget it. Meaning that they want to make sure that the uh, U.S. keeps funding their corporate cronies and fucking backers and not the American public. And there's no other way to get around that. With an eye to the August 2nd deadline looming over a possible debt crisis, the Senate has canceled its July 4th break and will be back at work next Tuesday. Meanwhile... The rhetorical fireworks continue. It all comes down to this idea that either the loopholes that allow corporations to pay no taxes, outsource jobs, and still get money from the government paid to do their fucking work that they're not paying back in any way at all, except for increasing oil prices for the fucking population of the United States. That is okay for Republicans. They want to keep that going. But to give any type of hand to the what's considered middle class, but can stretch all the way to the individual wealthy um, outside of corporations, fucking them in the process. You know, the Democrats... I think are spineless. Absolutely weak and spineless. They are probably the worst political party at bargaining that I've ever seen in my fucking life. Uh, They're pathetic, and they have been for years. The Republicans are much more effective and aggressive, but their rationale, their masters, are everything that, in my opinion, is wrong with America. Uh, I think you would find, if, if... if we could have the Democrats take the Republican stance in politicking, we'll say, we would have a much healthier, much healthier economy. Because we wouldn't be allowing the citizens of this fucking country to be raped by the corporations. Um, And, you know, that's sort of a carte blanche statement that's not really fair because the majority of Democrats also are under um, corporate masters. So I'm sort of playing a a good-bad scenario that's not realistic entirely. But I would have to say, as for percentage, there's more Republicans that are in uh, corporate pockets than Democrats. And actually, I think that might be because corporations have backed off of Democrats after the uh, Obama came into office because they felt like he was more of a threat. So they thought that his sort of hope agenda and, and um, uh, political stances were going to be much more 
civilian rather than corporate based, they were fucking wrong. I mean, Obama has gone more with fucking bank corporation and Wall Street positions than I think anyone ever should. But, you know, I mean, it's tough. Because on one hand, we absolutely need corporations if we want to maintain lifestyles that we have. Um, But that means that we're going to suffer for it. You You don't get anything without paying. So do we pay more because it's all produced and manufactured locally? Or do we get less because they're fucking farming out everything overseas and receiving money from the government while not paying any taxes? You know, it's sort of that... You gotta try to find some sort of balance. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're we're probably never gonna be there. But that's not to say that we shouldn't keep trying in our own ways, you know, to... To, to modify our environment in the way we see it. You know, that's sort of the American way. That's We vote with our conscience, and at the bo- end of the day, we, we, we hope that the people we vote for are going to have more in kind with what we wanted than not. But we accept that they're going to have a lot that's not. <laughs> you know, there's no, no such thing as a perfect politician, perfect anyone. Um, so, you know, the way that we have elections means we have to have corporate backing of these individual uh, politicians, which means there have to be some sort of payback for the, the corporation, you know. So anyway, that, that's that's all I wanted to do about that article, and that's going to be the it, it for... I'm stumbling over everything. And that's going to be it for the Infernal Informant. I'm going to go ahead and take a, a, a small break. We'll have a commercial break. At the other side, I'm going to jump right into Creature Feature with Outside Radio Hours interview. I hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you on the other side. The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's High Priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the High Priest's writings for his Infernal Cabal, some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do Satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the Church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information. Released by Scapegoat Publishing. Available in paperback form from major booksellers and independents nationwide. Is this, is this thing on? All right, is it this thing working now? You got it. All right. Uh, this year's um, Citizens Against Decency uh, Book Award uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, uh, Motel Bazaar. It's, uh, yes, excuse you. It's not just a uh, book, photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trannies, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, Cat Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books. Uh, With Stephanie, 
Where are you, darling? Come on up. What? What? What's that? I, I was supposed to remember. Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan Magister Matt G. Paradise, Bearing the Devil's Mark. Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no-nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism. Not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians, or even their pagan counterparts, but straight from the Satanic perspective itself. Sex, love, politics, technology, the God religions, and more. All brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living the Satanic philosophy. To order, log on to PurgingTalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark? Fright fiends, hungry for a blood-curdling good time? Well, Terror Transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast. Listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past. Tune in through iTunes or the show's official website, www.terrortransmission.com, where you can also find Horror Chat, on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast ever. Have you ever felt that there was a level above being human? Do you feel as though you are better than most mortals? If the answer is yes, then please explore the Temple of the Vampire. www.vampiretemple.com The Temple of the Vampire. Are you one of us? The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She is swamp. Water slowing her escape. The creature nears. The damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last is effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm joined by Outsight Radio Hours DJ Tom Shelty. Another one of the fine Radio Free Satan podcasts available to you. Uh, Tom, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me, Adam. How are you? <laughs> Maybe can you tell me a little bit about yourself before we get to your podcast? Well, I already told you that I was a Luddite, but we did that off tape, <laughs> so I'll mention that again. Um um, I'm like I find many people in this sort of hobby um, more introverted than extroverted, which might um, explain other things you and I talked about off offline. And um, I love um, books, movies, art, and film. And um, 
I love to travel, and of course I love music, and I found out over the years that I love music for the um, largely for the artifact. That means I, I'm a record collector before I'm a concert goer. When did, you, when did you first realize that you were a Satanist? You know, that's the funny thing is I'm not. I'm an atheist. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, you know, I'm surprised. I go all the way back to the Shane Bugby days. Yeah. And um, um, as, a, as an atheist, I no reason why I'm at least not um, Satanist friendly, like why it would be sort of hypocritical for me not to, you know. Right. And, and so um, um, I knew Shane for years and years and years before, before Radio Free Satan even started. And um, um, way back to the first Expo of the Extreme and way before then. And so when he was getting this started, I became involved then. And, you know, and I was told him, like, look, man, like, I'm, I, I'm, Satanist friendly. I'm not just an an atheist that would. I don't care being associated, but I don't even want to pose. I don't want to like um, yeah, um, pretend, join, huh? yeah, pretend like I don't even want to get like a membership just to say that I have one. And he right. was like, "No, it's fine. It's cool. It's cool." So, um, so it's been cool all that time. And now that you've exposed me, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you're out. <laughs> you're out of the closet. Um, well, okay. Let's let's say when did you realize you were an atheist? Well. Um, Early, early, early on, I think I had help because my father was super, super religious. I'm talking like Hollywood movie um, super religious. Like his house was floor to ceiling, wall to wall, post-it notes with different colored Sharpies, black lettered scriptures. Yeah, he was way, way out there. He was a member of the Worldwide Church of God. If you remember them, they were a fundamentalist Christian um, thing here in America. So they were like – they were. You know, we recently had the guy that said the world's going to end at a certain yeah. – well, the leader of this church, Herbert W. Armstrong, he was one of those. He had set a date and it didn't happen, you know. Oh, so they yeah. were like the end of the world, apocalyptic Christians and um, very Old Testament. And they kicked out my father because he was too hardcore for them. So – Whoa. Yeah, he was, he, was way, he was way out there. And then, um, then he went really kind of off the deep end and – like I mentioned before, he's passed away and, and because he had a tumor in his head, and um, probably that was the source of a lot of his instability. But long, but took him years to actually finally pass away. But long before then, you know, he was like, you know, Jesus is going to come back, and he, I'm going to sit on his. He's going to be the right hand of God, but I'm going to be in his right hand, and I'm going to be running the reconstructed Levitical priesthood. So he was way, way, way out there, but. He really believed. I mean, everything in the Bible was speaking to him, and if God said to do it, you know, he had to do it. Whoa. You know, so there was, you know, from the Jewish dietary laws to whoa, yeah, yeah. But that was that would that would have been just fine, you know, like all the you know, um, feast of tabernacles, build a tabernacle. You probably might not know what a tabernacle is, but it's like a little hut man out of branches. So there he is in the backyard, Fuck. make the branches. So, so um, um, you know, wow. but that, and then so he was like, you know, no doctors, nothing, not even dentists, not even dental cleanings. So, no way. Yeah. So, um, so, <laughs> and you know, uh, there was no help from above for this man. You know, he put his hands in into the the God that he believed was there and he died so it was easy for me that was like something between 12 and 15 i'm not really sure that somewhere along in there 
you know, I became an atheist believing, you know, there was nobody, I couldn't believe there was anybody that didn't try as hard or as believe as hard and got nothing, no, yeah. no, no, you know, nothing for it. So it was easy to be an atheist then, yeah. I, I would think that that would have to be really hard also because I know I saw, like, my stepdad and my mom as, you know, at the, those early ages, you know, they were sort of gods in and of themselves. So, you know, up until, like, I think the age of eight, I, I literally saw them as infallible. You know, I mean, they're the yeah. parents. They set the rules. That's the law. They're the lawmakers. You know, how can they be wrong? So that must have been a huge thing for you at some level, you know, up until maybe his death. Did you believe also that, you know what, he is really serving, you know, uh, this God's will and he's doing, he's like the most holy person you've ever met. Well, I don't know that I, I, I um, my parents divorced when I was two. Mm. So I didn't see my father up outside of, um, you know, the, the court appointed visitation yeah, until my early teens. So, and I had my mother hating him and my, my, you know, I, I, I don't remember it that way, the the way that your experience went. For me, it was very much about the um, – um, the only thing that ever made sense to me is like one time um, – my parents never settled custody. and Eventually, I turned 18. It didn't matter. But one time in there in, in, during my teens, the court was like, this kid might be suffering emotional damage from this thing going on for so long. We want like a, a court appointed psychologist to review him and just, you know, see if he's all right. And so I went to see this uh, psychologist and, and so I sit down and um, I was, as you can, you know, I was a disaffected youth, you know, like, like so many are, but I had obviously reasons to be disaffected and not trusting of adults. And he said to me, he says like, Tom, what do you collect? And that was his opening line. And and I used to collect tons of things, stamps, coins, feathers I would paste into books. And um, and I was obsessive collector kid more than most kids. So I, was, so I really got my attention that he even knew that was an area with me. And then his thing was, was like what he found is for kids that had, you know, gone through divorce – uh, to the level that that I had for so much of their life from so early and not have it be resolved or whatever they would tend to collect things because they felt there was so little of their own so little that they had they lost huh. so much and um, and I thought that was um, some amazing insight certainly more wisdom than I'd ever heard from Sunday school or what my father had gleaned from um, the revised standard version of the Bible you know so so I was impressed. I was impressed with that. And um, um, so that was more, for me, it was more about being out of sorts, being sort of um, unstuck, as it were, more like a, it was more like a uh, Lovecraft or Vonnegut um, novel than, um, than seeing either of my parents as, um, as something that, Jeez. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, but, that's um, pretty fucking some deep. That's some deep shit, man. Yeah, well, uh, but in all the collecting, I also was collecting music. So now I I live in a home with um, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, vinyl and nice. and CDs, and so consequently, I like to share those with people. My musical journey, and that's largely why I do my podcast. Oh yeah. Um. Well, 
then that really explains my next question too. What influenced you to start podcasting? <laughs> so, so let's let's skip ahead a little bit and uh, sure. talk specifically about the podcast. Um, can you give us a brief rundown for those of you who might not be familiar with Outside Radio Hours? What's the format of your show? Well, if I manage it, which I do most of the time, I would say eighty, a good eighty percent of time or better, there is a live interview guest, mm -hmm. much like you and I are doing right now, but it's live um, in the middle of my show. So I have that interview sort of set the theme. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, some of the upcoming interviews I'm working on right now, I've got um, Joe Keithley from DOA, the Vancouver, um, British Columbia Canadian hardcore band. He's been on the show a few times before. So the show will have a lot of DOA music in it that time. And so that off, obviously we're talking American heart, North American hardcore, yeah. but, um, but also I'm working on an interview, which I'm just nailing down the date for, for Susan Whitehall. It's a local here, Detroit journalist who wrote a biography of little Willie John, most famous for singing fever. Um, he was a, he was a Detroit guy, so he's kind of a big deal out here, but sort of a Temptation-style um, Motown soul sort of oh, thing. Badass, yeah. Yeah, well, then that show wouldn't really be appropriate to do a whole lot of um, DOA, but it'd be a lot of time to bring out some of the Temptations, Four Tops, Little Willie John, New Levi Studs. Oh, that's of course, hot. a lot. Yeah. So that would be more the theme for that show. So. So that's the format of my show, new and non-mainstream music, most often built around that week's interview guest to become sort of like a feature artist. That's very cool and varied. Thank you. I mean, that's yeah. So, so yeah, varied is the key. So then, because the guests are varied, the shows become varied. I, I also love freeform radio, so the shows are freeform. So that's on that's only kind of like a substrate, like the main seasoning of the show. There's a lot of uh, whatever else I've been listening to or caught my ear. We'll, we'll sprinkle in there. Um, so, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, well, how long have you been podcasting? I started podcasting, and uh, I actually have my badge here from when I went to CMJ in the summer of 99. And so I started podcasting in 98 or 99. Uh, except it wasn't called podcasting back then because they yeah. didn't have podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like webcasting or internet radio. Um, and so consequently, all my antiquated equipment heralds from that era. I still use turntables and CD players and a mixing board. Uh, I even have, you know, like a DVD player hooked up for DVD audio. So very little um, digital audio. Um, it's all... As it was back then in the late 90s, it was more like, all right, it's a radio station, but instead of a transmitter, there's an internet connection. But everything else is the same. Well, now, of course, as you know, the approach is, you know, um, uh, it's completely different on the hardware end and, and on, the, on the approach. But I'm sort of a time capsule. I'm sort of... Um, um, old school. I wouldn't even... I'm, I'm an antique. As a matter of fact, you know, tell you the truth, I'm honest <laughs> I don't know of anybody, anybody in the world that has been doing it for as long as I have. There's people that I'm sure have produced more episodes or done more hours, but I don't know anybody. I mean, when I started in the late 90s, 
I mean, it was very, 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 very new. Um, real audio had come out with some software that you could use to make a server, and you could use to, to you know, have your, your clients, um, you know, connect in and stream audio into it that was served out. Yeah. But uh, I've yet to meet somebody or, or be, have anybody pointed out to me that's been doing it consistently for as long as I have. Gosh, yeah. All I remember from those days was, <laughs> Chat rooms and boobies. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we were one step out of the acoustic modem days. You know, it was um, it was really really new, and that was one of the reasons I went to New York, the place I w- I worked with, um, CollegeMusic.com. Um, you know, was uh, kind of on the forefront of this. Like, can you imagine? They had to have a programmer, you know, to come and write software to do the internet radio station. Can you imagine if RFS needed that? I mean, there was no out-of-the-box solution at the time. So it was really new, and how I kind of leaked into it is I told you music journalism before. I started in late 1988, music journalism. So about, um, you know, seven years later, as you can imagine, some of my writing was now getting posted to the web. You know, back then, um, alternative weeklies and monthlies and fanzines were, you know, stop, um, you know, spending their money at Kinko's and they were just posting web pages. So my content was coming on there and I was sort of a music journalist in the print and, and um, web world. And then collegemusic.com would post my articles and they were like, and they knew that I did FM terrestrial radio. I used to be on Detroit Public Radio here and, and AM radio. And, and they were like, well, we'd like to put that together and try to do this, um, this, this um, internet radio. Is, you know, basically what it was, this webcasting yeah. thing. You know? So um, that's how it started. You know? And they are no more. And then I, when they collapsed, I kind of kept it together and, and kept finding people that were other people that were doing it eventually including um, Shane Bugby in that you know early edition of Radio Free Satan so how were you first introduced to Radio Free Satan is it just because you and you and Shane were friends and you just decided to help them out or were you looking for another venue to sh- showcase your work well by then I was on um, a, a lot of stations um, including um Lover.com, L-U-V-E-R, and I had invited Shane to do a show there, his three-ring radio there, mm-hmm. um, and so then he decided that he you know, just wanted to do his whole station, and I remember the day he called me, it was kind of like a s- summer day like this, and uh, I happened to be outside, and I remember the conversation pacing around in my front yard, looking at the lake, and him telling me, you know, that he wanted, you know, to do this Radio Free Satan thing and have my show as one of the shows and me telling them, well, you know, I'm like this radical atheist and, and I have no ostentation. I will not pose as, you know, I don't care if it's Reconstructionist, you know, Odinism, you know, sure. it's all cool, but I won't, I, won't, um, I won't fake like any of it myself. So, um, because to me it would be, because my own personal philosophy just it just couldn't have it. And he was like, it'll be fine. And at that time I thought, yeah, it'll be fine until you get enough, you know, warlocks and warlockettes, you know. <laughs> and you'll, 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 you'll be done with me. Um, and then 
but if you had told me then, no, actually, Tom, you'll be doing a show on there, and he won't even have anything to do with the station anymore, I never would have believed it. <laughs> so how did you decide on the name of your podcast? Well, that um, it's really gla- I'm really glad you asked because I get to give credit to one of um, Detroit's um, a lot of really great talented people out here. And sorry for I keep saying Detroit, but um, we get a lot of bad bad rep um, um, out there. And um, one of the great people out here is Jim Shaw. Uh, he's from um, the Detroit Cobras. Helped start that band. A great. Um, 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 garage rock sound, you know, if you like, like the White Stripes that came out of Detroit, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, right. And Jim Shaw is also a talented photographer. And I used to, Jim Shaw and I used to be painters together. I'm talking walls, not pictures, right. like apartment buildings. And way back then in the late 80s or early 90s, probably the early 90s, I'd say probably this 92 or 93, I was looking for a new name for my music news column. And the funny thing is, is he gave me the suggestion of the word outside, which I thought was neat. And what resonated with me is not insight. Because my whole thing, my whole thing when I was a music writer, music journalist, is that I don't have insight. I'm not a critic. I'm not um, um, a musician judging other musicians. You know, I'm like a fan, you know, like anybody else. That, but I'm just willing to put my words you know, on paper, but my mind and my reactions are like, just like any other ticket buying concert goer or somebody that's, you know, wants to be there the day that record comes out and be sure to buy one. I'm just a music fan. Music enthusiast is what I used to say. I'm a music enthusiast. So, so I thought outsight was great because it's like the opposite of insight. Like I have outsight, you know, I'm not on the stage. I'm have outsight. So I went with that. Come to find later, you know, as I tried to get on the internet and I wanted to buy outsite.com, yeah. couldn't buy it. Don't look for me there. I'm not there. The reason being is that site is a photography site because outsite is a technical photography term, like focal <laughs> length. Jim Shaw oh. swears up and down that he did not know that. But I mean, he's a he's a great photographer a lot of stuff a lot of um famous album covers um um, that you might um um, know of i just actually read the other day about one but um there was a famous amok cover that he did but anyway you know i've been to exhibitions of his photography and i believe that somewhere in his photographic experience he encountered that term and it was embedded in this subconscious is unconscious until you know lifted by the um, heat and moisture of a sealed room and paint (laughs) that drifted across the room to me and I took it and ran with it and then that and then the show originally was the stuff I was writing about that week I would play stuff on the air so the show should have the same name as the column. The column is no more, and the show continues with the same name. I tacked on the radio hours um, as an homage in my mind because it makes me think of stuff I used to listen to in the kid, as a kid, an AM radio of like old reruns of things like The Shadow and those old oh, wow. uh, radio programs. Like I would, I, somehow to me outside radio hours sounds like it should you'll be coming out of one of those um wood <laughs> floor models in the 40s you know yeah yeah so 
so then I, I stitched that on there and it's been like that ever since. And the final thing on that is I love TLA's three letter acronyms. Mm -hmm. So then I could be O R H and I, there you go. (laughs) That's very cool. Um, how would you like your show to evolve if you would want it to evolve in any, any further direction than it is now? I would like it to evolve, <laughs> like probably like anybody, um, to the point where somebody, where significant numbers of people paid attention to it. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. There, there's like a like a cycle of when I'm ready to give up, and it seems like always when I'm ready to give up, there'll be like a little trickle in the email. Somebody will be like, you know, there'll be like a face of MySpace posting you know comment just hey just letting you know that um i'm here in you know west lackwasher pennsylvania and i love listening to your show every week you know that happens once a year (laughs) but when it does like i needed it because i was just about to like you know send out the emails you know don't contact me anymore like i've planned it all out in my mind like i'm gonna (laughs) different email address i'm gonna stop looking at my outside email address and i'm gonna just send one email that i've i've done it for long enough nobody could say that i haven't tried Mm -hmm. you know so so yeah i would like to get that sort of feedback just a little bit more often because (laughs) that's something that i've only been doing this for a minute but I think getting feedback, I always hear, because I listen to a lot of podcasts because I have a long commute to my regular job, and you're always hearing people saying, hey, you know what, send me an email, let me know what you think, and stuff like that, and I'm always like, you know what, I should do that, and then the day goes on, and I never do it, and I never think about it until the next time I download the episode and hear it again, and I think, and now that I'm doing it, I'm saying the exact same thing, and in some fool heart part of my mind, I'm like, someone will email. Yes. And, <laughs> like... Everyone else is doing the exact same thing I'm doing. They're like, okay, you know what? I'll send a little, you know, a little whatever. And then they, their life gets in the way and they forget. So yeah. It, 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 it can be know, a little discouraging. I totally understand that. It, it can be. And a lot of it with the technology has changed to make that somewhat more irrelevant. You know, for instance, now um, I host, I don't podcast only through Radio Free Satan, which I'm sure anybody that cares to know knows. And um, most of the places I podcast, I host the files on a server that I pay for. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I'm glad to do it that way and glad to pay that money is because I can go in there and I can see how many times that big, fat, two-hour podcast was downloaded. And you can't tell me somebody would download one of those you know, 170-megabyte files wow. and, and not not you know have wanted to on some level you know yeah especially so, over a period of time you know yeah exactly so th- so i can do that and go well like you know i can say the same things you have you know they maybe they wanted to they couldn't find the time they didn't email me but i know they're out there i know they're out there because they're pulling the files down so um so so that's enough. But if those numbers dropped off or stopped, I'm sure I would quit that. <laughs> if, yeah. I, if I put them up there, I look back and it was like, you know, two or zero, you know, I'd be like, well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned that you do it in other places. Uh, yep. where, where else do you uh, feature your show? 
Now, and is it outside radio hours or is it something else, like a different project? It's all. It's always has been. It always. It always is outside radio hours. I suppose it always will be. And um, I'm sure it is everywhere that you can post a podcast for free. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I um, uh, there's so many places that, I mean, if you just Google outside radio podcast without even the hours, you would see it's it's everywhere there. And um, there's also a, a neat thing, um, like, I don't know. I could name them if you want, but there's like a, a service that you can route podcast URLs through mm -hmm. um, so that um, even those other um, podcasts, because, you know, some of them, what they do is they might grab the file once from my server and then they host it and then they're serving it up. Yeah. But um, um, but anyway, I can I can track a lot of that and sort of aggregate that. But, yeah, basically everywhere. And there's a lot of places um if you just search up like ping podcast services that allow you to ping your podcast that you've uploaded it, they um, you can get lists there of all the places that you know care about podcasts and host them. But I mean, you know, so everything the Podbean, the Podomatic, the Podcast Pickle, right. they're all all of them are aware about site iTunes. Um, yeah, they they all all ways you can have you can have um, you can have outside, and it, it's been out there. I actually um, got a book called um, Promote Your Podcast, that um, Promoting Your Podcast by um, Jason Van Orden, which is here on my desk. And um, I got that, um, and that really helped me out a lot. That really got me out there. He did a thing called podcastinguniversity.org. And um, they're used to um, – I actually went um, to a um, sort of podcaster's convention just once. You know, like Johnny Dangerously. I went right, to right, right. Yeah. Once. <laughs> just once. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I and I, I don't I don't know that I would do it again. Um, um, but um, I did it once, and I got this out of that this this thing here, this book, and and that was enough um, for me to learn what I needed to do. Hell yeah. Yeah. So for your show, do you ever take recommendations of 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 themes or guests that people would like you to interview or yeah i'm i'm really into that and i do get those um what i would what i'd be more responsive to is requests like when i'm doing the show live because i also do it live on places um requests for music because i find um because i commit so much on the guest the guest becomes a theme of the show so much music that it's not very often that I actually follow up on the recommendation because that's right. one of my whole two-hour shows for the year. But it does happen. It does happen. I actually just did one. And, and when it does, I'm usually glad because it gets me out of the box a little bit. But I just did one, a New York um, singer-songwriter, Sherry Miller. She was a recommendation from somebody, and uh, I loved talking to her. She was really great. Um, and I think one of the ones is – that might have been the first over the phone telephone interview she did as as an artist and that people people in that position i find they either clam up and there's nothing you can do with them yeah. or they're so excited and friendly and ebullient that there's that you have to cut them off eventually <laughs> no but that's great it's it was fun so that was one of the last ones i did but i'd say i i probably get 
I get scads of recommendations, and a lot of them I'll set aside is that they're the professional recommendations, like they're publicists or PR people that are just sending me ones. But then of the real honest personal ones, maybe like six to ten a year, but I, probably annually I actually only follow through like I'm one of them. Well, Everything else, I, I reach out and ask the person. Huh. Well, that's cool. Um, how can people get in contact with you about your show if they want to send you props? or? Um... Yeah, yeah. The, I would encourage them to email me, um, outsight at usa.net. O-U-T-S-I-G-H-T at usa.net. Awesome. Well, let, let me thank you again for joining me here. It was really fantastic talking with you. Uh, really, really great. And, and I, I've listened to your show Thank you. I, I do really enjoy it. It's, you know, there, I think there are a handful of shows that feature interviews. Um, they're just really easy to listen to, and it doesn't feel like it's, you know, awkwardly contrived, probably like mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just sort of natural and everything, and, and yours is one of them. Um, and also, you know, the eclectic mix of music, uh, I, I think that's just, I think that's really fantastic. I think it's really hard to, to stick to a genre and then be excited about it. So if you're capable of, you know, bringing in different types of music, it keeps it exciting for you, which then feeds into the audience. And it, at least for me, it really makes me want to listen to it, you know, again and again and again. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, no problem at all. And all of you listening out there, if you haven't um, listened to Outside Radio Hours, I do recommend it. Absolutely. Uh, I know it's not for you, but uh, hail Satan as a, as a greeting. <laughs> Hey, hail Satan. I can say that, um, um, especially with all the disclaimers and prologue we've done in this interview. <laughs> yeah, <seriously>. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I was actually going to do a Bizarre Bizarre, but we're running a little bit long from you know, the regular format of the show I like to um, operate under. So I'm going to save that Bizarre the Bizarre that I had planned for this week for next week. I hope everyone has a safe and happy 4th of July. Uh, I know I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to be up in the mountains enjoying uh, some uh, friends and family. Uh, but you know what? That's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or general comments that you might have. I can't even fucking talk. Uh, you can visit the Undercroft, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for nine cents and get updated on weekly topics. I'm also now on Google Plus, so add me to your circle for updates there. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at ninecentspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching nine cents. And don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. If you'd like to hear more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit undercroft at satanet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine Satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan. <laughs>